I want to uh, share with you this morning from John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you know, we talked about it last Sunday, that one of the first people that Jesus revealed himself alive to was Mary, Mary Magdalene. And as she is there weeping by the tomb, thinking that um, somebody has stolen the body away, even though the angels are sitting there telling her that he's not there, that he's, he's uh, risen and all of that, still the questions, the doubts, the fears remain. Because when you've seen someone die in that kind of a brutal way, and you were there when they put him in the ground, um, to think that three days later that he's up and walking around alive and healthy is a pretty difficult jump. So as she's there, Jesus himself is talking to her. She's not looking for him. She's not expecting him. She thinks he's the gardener. But when he calls her name, you remember that's when she understood. And there can be a lot of fears, a lot of doubts, a lot of confusion about Christ and about who he is and all of that sort of thing. But when he calls your name, you know him. Uh, we came, Joanna and I came home from the home group Thursday night and pulled into the driveway here and um, there's this kid, 16 years old, sitting over here on the corner, backpack, just sitting here. And uh, so I said, can I help you? And he said, no, no, I'm just sitting here. And he got up to walk away. And I said, can I, do you need anything? Can I help you? And he said, no, I'm fine. He got about halfway down and he stopped and he turned around and he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he came over. He's wanting to know if uh, God is real. He wants to know who he is. He wants to know about himself. So these are very relevant things. I thought about uh, Mary Magdalene that day. When he calls your name, you know who he is. Now, the, the problem was, in verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for, or cling to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father, your Father, to my God, and your God. And so she did that. Now, one of the other Gospels says that uh, the women, when they realized who he were, they fell down and they grabbed a hold of his feet. And Jesus is saying, don't hang on. Don't cling to me. Now, that's a kind of a natural thing, isn't it? Um, many of us want to hang on to the way things were or the way things are. And especially times of revelation or times of great blessing. Um, I know that many of us have been in places or had experiences, maybe in relationships, and you're doing something and you, you just stop and you think, I wish this would last forever. I wish it would be just like this forever. Maybe some beautiful place you're looking at, uh, some place that you've really touched your heart, changed your life. I wish it was like this forever. And it never is, is it? 
Sometimes we look at the past and we talk about them being the good old days and we're filled with nostalgia and all that kind of thing. And if we stop and thought about those good old days, if it includes the time that we were alive, and we're really honest, it may not be a whole lot better than now. Matter of fact, it may be worse than now. But time and distance uh, makes things seem oftentimes better than they were. Now, I tell you how you can do that. Um, talk to anybody who's been an athlete in the past. <laughs> and they were the best. <laughs> they never dropped the ball. They never. A thousand games and no errors. <laughs> so they become a legend in their own mind. <laughs> so that, you know, it's that kind of thing. We have that kind of a, an ideal. But the thing is, even in our relationship with God, and maybe especially in our relationship with Him, things can never be what they once were. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because God, our walk with Him, is not a static thing. We don't come, have an experience, that's the end of it. Uh, because relationship with God is a living thing, isn't it? A living relationship. Which means it's a dynamic, ongoing, hopefully growing, progressing thing. Well, after the, after the resurrection of Christ, even after that, even after Jesus appeared to them and assured them and they understood that Jesus was indeed, in fact, risen from the dead, they still were not clear what Jesus expected of them. So seven of the 11 that were left Seven, well over half, decided to go back to Galilee. Well, Jesus had told them, he says, I'll, I'll meet you in Galilee. But they weren't thinking of that. That's where they were from. That's where they lived. They, are, they had left their homes up in Galilee to follow Jesus. Now, uh, even though he's risen from the dead, not sure what that means for us who, who are left. So we're going to go home. And they went back and they, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. That's not recreation. That's not fun. For him, that's his occupation. That's his job. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go back to being a fisherman. I'm going to go back to the way things were before I met Jesus. And they're going to discover, and hopefully we discover, that once you know Jesus, you can never go back. Now that doesn't mean you have to change occupation, but what it means is that because Jesus is alive and because our sins have been forgiven in his name, that we are inside essentially different people. There is a recreation or a new creation that Paul talks about. We're different than we were before. And if we're not, then we haven't really met him. Because you can't Meet Jesus and stay the same. And you can't go back. The old values, they're different. Priorities change. Understanding of who you are as a person changes. And when that happens, then you begin to see other people in a different light. Looking through the eyes of Jesus. So they tried to go back. And they found out that they couldn't. 
Many of us want to stay, though, in that same relationship or in that place of revelation. You remember at the transfiguration when the disciples finally realized what was going on. Jesus was there. Moses was there. Elijah was there. Peter speaks and says, look, we need to build three booths. We need, we need to build three shrines and we're going to stay here. And they weren't allowed. You cannot stay. The revelation is never an end in itself. It's not just so we will know. It's transformative, and with the revelation comes a call. Once you know, you're responsible to let others know. That's why John does what he does. Once you know, you're responsible to share the good news with others. It's, it's for you, but it's not just for you. Moses and Elijah themselves found that out. Each one of them in their lifetime, had a tremendous revelation of God on Mount Sinai. Incredible. God speaking to them, becoming visible and, and touching, to, touching their hearts and lives, speaking to them. And they were never the same. But they weren't allowed to stay. John, this tremendous revelation on the island of Patmos, he didn't die in Patmos. That wasn't the end of the story. So you remember um, in the parable of the talents, one guy got five, one got three, one got two, depending on which gospel you're reading. All of them agree that there's one guy who got one. And this guy showed that a couple of things, that he did not understand the nature and character of his master and lord. Secondly, he did not understand the value of what had been entrusted to him. So in his fear, he took the talent God gave him and buried it in the dirt. Not going to use it? Afraid I'll lose it? I'll just bury it. Many of us have gifts that God has given to us. Gifts are given to be used. Gifts are entrusted to us so that they can grow and develop and become stronger and greater. And become more useful and effective in the body of Christ. That's the purpose of them. So that Christ could be glorified. This man took his and hid it in, in the field. Uh, I'm going to take this gift and I'm going to keep it just as it is. And he brought condemnation on himself because he didn't understand the gift or the giver. I wonder how many of us, gifted by God, understand what God is doing. Giving you and me an opportunity to become co-laborers with God in what he's doing in the earth right now, in our community, in our own homes and families. In John 16, verses 12 through 15, Jesus is talking to the disciples in the upper room and he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That's true for every single person who comes to know Jesus Christ. It's an introduction. It's getting to know who he is. But just because you've met somebody 
and you know their name and you know who they are doesn't mean you're their best friend or that you know them well or they know you well, does it? It just means you know who they are. You've been introduced to them. And Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So there's progression, there's growth here. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? Well, he's going to speak only what he hears. Does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly in the Gospel of John what Jesus said about himself. The words I speak, they're not mine. I hear them from the Lord. He shows me what to do, tells me what to say, tells me how to say it. So the words that I speak to you, they're the words of God. They're not me. And he said it over and over and over again. And now he says the Holy Spirit is going to continue that process. He continues, Jesus does, and he says, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to be continually revealing more and more of the Word of Christ to us in the present day. Scripture is not a dead letter. It's a living Word that confronts us and challenges, guides, corrects, directs, uh, comforts, gives hope. Um, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, part of his prayer in verse 26, he says this, I, that's Jesus, have made you, that's God, known to them, that's the disciples, and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have, God has for me, Jesus, may be in them, the disciples, that I myself may be in them. So Jesus says, I have made God the Father known to his disciples. And I will continue. That's an ongoing revelation. How much about God do you think you know? God's infinite. How much of God do you think you know? Well, the point is that God's infinite. None of us can say we know all there is about God. None. Paul kept saying, I'm still pressing on that I might know him and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Paul, the apostle, I'm pressing on to know him. I haven't arrived yet. And he says that. I don't, don't count myself already to have attained all of this. I'm still in the process of getting to know him better. Seeking after him in an active way. So how long have you known the Lord? How many years? How well do you know him? Those of you who've been married for a while, how well do you know your spouse? Some of you have been married a long time. How well do you know each other? Well, you think about God. How well do you know him? Jesus Christ. Have you 
Do you remember a time when once you were introduced to him? Not much of a relationship there. But if you live with them every day and you get to know them, then that, that relationship grows and develops. You know, people talk about um, getting tired in their relationships or getting bored with the same old thing. It's because they haven't understood themselves or who they're dealing with at all. At all. And it's surprising that people that have been married for many, many years, 60, 70 years, they still find out new things about their spouse they hadn't really understood before. Still capable of surprises. That's a good thing. So Jesus is going to continue to make God known to his disciples that the love God has for Jesus may be in us. Maybe if we have trouble in our relationships with other people, it's because we haven't spent enough time letting God show us who he is. Maybe that's the difficulty. Because as we get to know him more and know the love God has for his son, the desire of God is to enter into that kind of a relationship, that kind of depth. You know, Jesus challenged the disciples um, many times, even on the day that he rose from the dead on the road to Emmaus. He was talking to those men. He said, how foolish and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And repeatedly, Scripture talks about um, the word of God as food and drink. Talks about... Uh, milk. And Peter says that new converts need to crave pure spiritual milk that they might grow in their salvation. So how are we growing in our salvation? Paul uses that from a negative side and he says by now you should be eating solid food but you're still on milk. Why? Because you haven't, you haven't gotten the full uh, potential out of that to go on to other things. To grow up into maturity. Hebrews has a very strong statement. And talks about us being slow to learn. And so God is working. Even among the disciples. This is what the book of Acts is all about. Isn't it? Um, the Jews. Even the disciples. Even though Jesus called them. And told them to go into all the world. Beginning in Jerusalem. And Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. They were in Jerusalem. And they didn't go. They stayed right there until the persecution drove them, compelled them to go. And then they realized what they were doing. Even then, they were just going, they went to Samaritans, but they were, after all, at least half Jews. Even Peter, you know, with Cornelius, you know, this was a, a huge, huge revelation for Peter. A big learning curve for him. Something that he had not anticipated and did not welcome easily. And so God confronts him and challenges him, sends him to Cornelius, these Gentiles. And while Peter's talking to him, the Holy Spirit falls upon those Gentiles exactly like he did in Acts chapter 2 on the Jews. 
And finally the message came through to Peter. Hey, God accepts them just like he accepts us. He was criticized for it. And it didn't settle the thing once for all in Peter's own mind. You remember Paul challenging him? Because Peter, he kept wanting to go back to the old ways. And when he had those people that he was comfortable with and that he respected going in the opposite direction, he fell into that easily. And Paul says, that's not right. That's not what the Lord said. And that's not the heart of God. So there had to be growth, clinging to the past. Saul's conversion. Saul had been persecuting the church because he thought he was zealous for the Lord. He was doing God's work, arresting and persecuting Christians until Jesus revealed himself to him personally, directly. And then what took place was more than a conversion. It was a transformation that took place in Paul. Uh, such a radical transformation. This Pharisee, this champion of the law, now becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles, which the leaders uh, and major interpreters of the law says, that's not right. Paul said, I know who God is, and God has revealed this to me, and I know it is. So we can't cling to the past or think that the relationship is going to be that what Jesus was doing is said that he showed himself alive over a period of 40 days by many convincing proofs and then he left he ascended into heaven to give his people an opportunity to become mature Christians filled with and led by the Holy Spirit to become as much as possible what Jesus is. So much so that Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, it's a challenge. So he says, let us know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He's talking to God's people. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. That's what produces life and fruit in the Holy Land. They're dry land farmers. They're dependent upon those two rains or they don't eat. And he says, God comes to us in that way. So let's pursue him. That's what the word means. Let us press on. Let's chase after him. Let's follow. Let's pursue to know him in a deeper, closer way. Because God wants us to know. It's not like he's hiding from us. He's inviting us to come. What Jesus was telling, beginning with Mary... Um, in John chapter 20, don't cling to me because there's another comforter who's coming and he will guide you into all the truth. And there are things about Jesus that we can only know when the Holy Spirit reveals them to us. And that's his job. That's what he wants to do. That's what he longs to do. Not just the information, but to change us into that image, into the image of Christ. 
And that's why Jesus died and rose again. So he's telling them, don't hang on to me because things are not going to be as they used to be. Uh, do you ever think about the early church? These early church plants? Paul would go into an area, there's no church there at all. When he leaves, that's the beginning of a church, a body of believers. Sometimes he was only there for a few days. There's a lot of churches or parachurch organizations that's built around one person. And when that person dies or retires or leaves for whatever reason, the whole thing falls apart because it's built on that person. Uh, and that person's maybe personality or that particular person's form of ministry. But if that happens, what's the real foundation of that ministry? It should not be that person. If when that person leaves, it falls apart, then that means the wrong foundation was laid. And that's what Paul was concerned about. The foundation is Jesus Christ. That's bedrock. And then we build on that, but the building is not the thing. It's, it's who the building is for. And so if something happens to the building, so what? It's all going to fall down eventually one day. But the relationship the foundation of knowing God and knowing Christ, that just gets stronger and better throughout eternity. So ministry should not be based on personality or even gifts. It should be based on God who's revealing and using. When Paul left, things didn't fall apart. They came together and got stronger because God was bringing his people and the foundation wasn't Paul. It was Jesus Christ. So let's press on. Jesus told them. He ascended into heaven. He said, if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I will send him. And that will be the birth of the church. And it was. And it is. And so we celebrate the growth of what God is doing among us. Not clinging to the past. It may have been tremendous, powerful, great things in the past. But we don't want to go back. We go forward. We go forward. And that's what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would draw us. Help us to see that what you have for us ahead is greater than what you've done in the past. We look to the past of the day of Pentecost and yet we look forward to a great outpouring of your spirit that brings what was begun at Pentecost to full fruition and wholeness. Help us, Lord, to press on to know you, to know you in all of your fullness, to let your spirit so reveal you in us that we are transformed, our homes, our families are transformed, our community is impacted by the transformation that they see in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have communion every Sunday because it's a, a weekly reminder for us and we need that. It's open to anybody who wants to come. Um, on that first Lord's Supper, every one of those men were sinners. Every one of them was going to fail that night. Some were going to deny who he was. Many were just going to flee out of sheer terror and run away. Every, every person for himself. And so 
When the situation gets difficult, you either get in the corner and you fight and die, or you run for your life. Jesus laid his down for you and for me. And so he invites us to come. And the reason that he talks to us about his broken body and his shed blood is because we are sinners and because we are weak. And apart from him, we will fail. And so he dies on the cross to forgive us, to cleanse us, to give us a fresh start. He sends his Holy Spirit to change us and transform us into what we are, into what God created us to be. That's possible because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave this cup to them. And he said, All of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And so he invites us to come and have new life and a fresh cleansing, a new relationship with the Father. And he presents that to us today to remember why he died, why he rose again, and what he offers us because of that. And he invites us to come. So if you are here, uh, you are welcome to come. If you don't, if you're uncomfortable with that, not a problem. But we're just saying that you are welcome at this table if you would like to come. Well, also there'll be someone over here to pray. If you have anything that you would want someone to pray with you about, there'll be people there that will be happy to pray with you about anything. So at this time, if our, uh, whoever is serving communion, if you'd please come forward.